It is good to see all of you here today. Some of you look a little plumper than last time I saw you. Uh, I'm going to assume that is from dipping into the candy bags, right? Not has anything to do with a, a feast that happened on Thanksgiving, right? And so, by the way, just in case you're wondering, my willpower lasted until Tuesday morning on the candy bag, and that's when I had to dig into it again, and it's now all gone. Um, oh, wait, we may still have the Nestle Crunch bag, right? Yeah, we still, we still have one bag yet, so don't worry about me, okay? And so, I, I will not go into a sugar withdrawal yet. And so, I want to I read something to you guys first before we get going today, uh, and I want to just... I want these, I want you to just let this cascade over your hearts, over your minds. Let this sanctify the day for us today. Um, I want to read to you Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you, and persecute you, and lie about you, and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you so much for your words to us. Thank you for how they shape our hearts, how they shape our minds, how they allow us to see your glory even through things that may be tough for us to experience. As we go through this message today, Lord, let you let your words cascade over us. Let them change our hearts, change our minds. Let us draw close to you in this. In your name, amen. So, if you're quick enough, you're able to uh, turn to Matthew 5 and you're able to see that this was the Beatitudes, right? Um, this is where uh, this is part of Jesus' message to us, and this is the Beatitudes. And over the last seven weeks, we have talked about everything that we just read there in the Beatitudes. Um, we've been in the series called The Restoration, and we've walked through seven ways that God restores us. And today we're going to talk about how God can sort of use the pain that we have accumulated in our life, the pain that goes on that we've carried with us, how God can use that pain to bring people to him by our example and our words. See, we've come to understand that God wants to use our experiences to help other people. And, and I just want you to pause and think about this one very important idea that I want you to hold on to, okay? God wants to use you. So take a moment and think about that, right? Because let's be candid. When we think of the phrase that someone wants to use you for their, for their gain, we oftentimes don't think that's positive, right? Oh, they're just using me, right? Right? Uh, if, if, you're, 
If you happen to be a person who is, find yourself in a situation where someone were to ask you for money, you would say, well, they're just using me for my money, right? Right? Um, if you have to be, if you have to be extraordinarily good looking and popular and, and that kind of thing, people are just using you to gain social status, right? Right? That's not me, but some people might have that, right? On it, if you have a car, on it, uh, better yet, if you have a pickup, you know what happens with people with pickup, right? Pickups, right? People with pickups are like, well, hey, I know the friend who has a pickup. Maybe he'll help me carry something to my house, right? And people use you for your pickup. They don't use me for mine because everybody's afraid that it's not going to start, which is true, right? Um, every time that Ford starts, it's a, it's an answer to prayer. And so, um, but it's because it's a Ford. Um, um, so, we understand this idea of using. So when we say the phrase that God wants to use us, we have to do something really important. We have to combat what we understand could be a negative perception from what we see in the world to changing that idea that God wants to use us into a positive concept, that God wants to use us. God wants to use us to bring him glory. So take a moment. Think about that. Get this framed in your head correctly. God wants to use you, right? And it is a positive thing. So take a moment here. I'm not sure how long it will take, but I want you to think about that. Here's a problem that we run into with that. Sometimes we think that God only wants to use super talented or, or super gifted people. Sometimes we think that God will only use people who are super spiritual and is close to him. But that is not true. God wants to use ordinary people like you and I for his glory. Uh, I like to say this, and, and this is probably wrong. And I know this is wrong because my definition I've learned is sometimes different than what other people's definitions are. But I like to say that God likes to use the simple-minded people, the people who are deeply committed to God who obey him without question, that, that God likes to use those people who are simple-minded or completely focused on what do I have to do to glorify God? How can I glorify him? Right? And your definition of simple-minded might be a little bit different than that, and I, I'm okay with that. Um, but here's the thing. When we uncomplicate our relationship with God, life becomes pretty simple, doesn't it? We trust God. We put our faith in him. We say, okay, God, what do we do? Here we go. More importantly, I want you to understand that God wants to use ordinary people with everyday weaknesses. See, it would be really awesome if God would use our strengths to glorify him, right? Right? If, if God, would, uh, God would use the things that we're really good at to glorify him. Uh, but he doesn't. Instead, he likes to use our weaknesses to bring him glory. And this is a problem for us because far too many of us spend time ignoring our weaknesses and focusing on our strengths, right? L- let me give you a couple examples here. Like, like if you are good at administrative tasks, chances are you focus on getting better at administrative tasks, right? If you're good at being hospitable, then you focus on being hospitable, bringing people in. If you're good at numbers, well, um, you focus on getting better at numbers. Um, if you're good at keeping things clean and organized, um, you focus on that. And all too often, we ignore the weak areas of our life that God wants to use. See, the administrator might be weak at listening, but maybe that's what God wants to use them for. 
The person who is incredible, who is hospitable, might be weak at letting people help them, but perhaps that's where God is most glorified. The numbers girl might not like people, right? She would much prefer to just give me a spreadsheet with numbers on it, but the reality is she is an incredible listener. The clean freak might hate messes, but God uses him best when he gets his hands dirty and becomes uncomfortable. But we don't think that way, do we? We don't think about the fact that God wants to use our weaknesses because we are trained, we are taught throughout society that, hey, we focus on your strengths. And you get better at your strengths and just ignore the weaknesses because you could, you could do something else with that. You know, you could find someone else who can take care of that, right? And so we do that. And, and when we do this, perhaps the people that God wants us to connect with will look at us and get discouraged. They say, man, I can, I can never do that, or, or I can't do this, or I can't be that way. But here's the thing. When we share our weaknesses, those same people who God wants us to connect with can hear it. They can see it. And perhaps they can relate to that. Right? Just take a moment and think about this concept that God wants to use you. And perhaps God wants to use you not for your strengths, but for the weaknesses that you have. See, here's the thing. People are rarely helped by us talking about our strengths. They're most oftentimes helped when we are honest about the things that we are weak at. And it doesn't make sense, but when we understand this, our weakness and pain takes on a whole new meaning. And we start to see the things that brought us so much pain and frustration are actually the things that God wants to use for his glory. So if that's the case, if that is, if that is a true statement, if, if we can build off of that, then we have to ask this question. Why does God allow our pain to exist? Why does God, hap- why does that, why does God allow that pain to happen? Well, there, there's a lot of reasons that we could go into, um, but I want to give you four specific reasons to take with you today. Okay, and, and here's the first one. God allows our pain because he has given us free will. Now, this concept of free will is... is uh, is sort of significant for us to understand here. Genesis tells us we were made in the image of God. And because we were made in the image of God, God has given us the ability to make choices, right? Aren't you glad that you get to make choices, right? I'm glad I get to make choices every day, right? Some days I make the wrong choices almost the entire time. Some days I, I make the right choices and find out that they were really the wrong choices later on, but I still think they were the right ones, right? And some days I think I've made all the wrong choices and it turns out that they are the right choices, right? Um, I'm glad that I have the ability to choose, um, and, I, and I'm glad for that. Because we were made in the image of God, God gives the ability to make choices. We could choose good, we could choose bad, we could choose right, we could choose wrong. And we have the ability, once we've made a choice, to change our minds and choose something else, right? Let me see if I can give you an example. It was August, Houston, Texas. My dad and mom, um, uh, my mom had to go to a conference in Houston. She was a teacher. And my dad gave me $20 to go and to take my mom out to lunch. You know, back then we could fly from Corpus Christi, Texas to Houston for like $29. It was on Southwest Airlines. Uh, oh, I think it was Braniff. Anybody remember Braniff Airlines? Long time ago, right? Yeah. Um, 
the predecessor, I think, to Southwest. Anyways, uh, I digress. Go back to the story here. So dad gave me $20 to take mom out to dinner, right? I was so excited about this. And so we're in this mall where they're having this conference and mom's doing her thing. And I'm left to my own devices with $20 in my pocket. And I'm like 10 years old, maybe 11, right? So you know what's going to happen, right? Right? If there was an arcade, I would find it. But I didn't find the arcade. Instead, I found the Radio Shack. And that Radio Shack, they had remote control cars. They had remote control cars. And I could buy a remote control car, a big blue you know, pickup truck. They'd go forward, backwards, and turn left. It never turned right, I don't think. Um, and batteries for $19, right? So I did. Mom got out of lunch. I had a great time there. You know, I wore out the entire batteries. And, and when we got home, you know, Dad asked me how it was to take Mom out to lunch. And I didn't take her out. And that, that present that I really wanted, that, really, that pickup truck I really wanted, um, and Mom and Dad took that away from me. Can you imagine that? How cruel, right? But because they're good and loving parents, they gave it back to me at Christmas time because I'd wanted it so much. But by then, I had outgrown it, right? I didn't want it anymore. That was my Christmas present that year. And I changed my mind on that. Had I, have I told you that story before? Because I only have a certain amount of stories, and sometimes I keep repeating them. So I just want to make sure. You guys have never heard that one yet before. Have I told Chris? It says I have, so it'll be gone. Um, um, here's the thing. We have the ability to choose, right? Like sometimes we want something so bad, and then when we get it, we're like, oh, I didn't really want that, right? We, we choose, right? That happens all the time with our Christmas presents, right? God did not make us to be puppets, to simply do whatever he wants us to do. He made us, uh, gave us the ability to choose. And we call this our human nature. And Romans 8, chapter 6 through 7 tells us a little something about our human nature. Romans 8, chapter 6 through 7 says, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. And the ability to choose goes as far as being able to choose if we will or will not worship God. You see, God wanted people to love him by their choice, not because he commanded it. He wanted people to choose to love him. And, and here's the thing. You cannot really love someone unless you have the choice not to love them. I think that's very significant to understand, okay? You can't really love someone until you have the choice not to love them, right? Um, and, and obviously there's a downside to free will because sometimes we make the wrong choice and we have to suffer the consequences of that choice, and we get that. But it's really important to understand that free will allows us to choose whether we will love God or whether we will not love God. The second thing is that, that God allows our pain to sort of get our attention. And let me tell you what, sometimes pain gets our attention, doesn't it? We know this. Right. See, we recognize that pain is sort of like an alarm that goes off when something is wrong. But pain is not usually the problem. The pain is usually a symptom of the problem. Does that make sense? See, pain tells us that something is going wrong. Uh, when, I, when I played college soccer, um, they would give us shoes, right? They would give us shoes for free, which is awesome, right? Because I, I like shoes an awful lot. And so um, I can remember 
getting these shoes. And, and I wear a size 11 and a half. I've worn a size 11 and a half since I was like junior high. I mean, this is, my shoe size never changes. But for some reason, I got really excited about the fact that I should order size nine shoes, right? So I ordered, now they gave it to us free, right? So I ordered size nine cleats so I could play. And my, my theory was this, all the, all the really good players had really tiny feet. And so I figured, well, I'll just have really tiny feet. Uh, and then because they're leather shoes, they'll, they'll stretch out, right? So I took those shoes, uh, brand new cleats, um, and they were free, so it's okay, right? It's okay. And I sat in a bathtub, and I, with hot water, I tried to stretch them out, all this right here. Um, and, and I tell you what, they were never comfortable. I don't know why. I, I, I mean, no matter what I did, they were never comfortable, right? They, they never fit. And there's always a sense of pain when I was running in them. I always, I always knew something was wrong. I, I tried to play in them, right? Um, but they, I did, they, the, the cleats were in the wrong spots. They didn't, you know, because even though the leather may have stretched, the plastic bottom didn't stretch. And so the cleats were never in the right spots, you know. And so my traction was off. I could never push off the right way. Um, they never fit. There's always pain associated with that. And that pain told me that something was wrong with those shoes. And so um, I experienced another pain point when I went to my coach and told him, actually, I, I need size 11 and a half shoes because I bought nine. And that, I did run laps for that. Um, lots of laps. Sometimes what pain does is it, it helps us move forward. Second Corinthians 7, 9 tells us this. I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and to change your ways. The pain causes us to repent and to change our ways sometimes. I'll push this a little further here. Remember the story of Jonah on it? Jonah is this guy who God told him to go to the city of Nineveh. He said, nope, not doing that. Hopped on a boat, going the wrong way. I was in the boat, bottom of the boat, sleeping. A big storm came. People were trying to figure out what's going on. Jonah came up, said, hey, I'm the problem. Jumped overboard, got swallowed by a whale. I swam in the belly of a whale for three days. Came out bleached, looking terrible. Um, got burped up onto the shore or something to that effect. Uh, I walked in Nineveh, said, listen, guys, I'm supposed to be here to tell you that God told you to repent on it. And, of course, being bleached and smelling like the belly of a whale, people repented. I'm sure that's what it was, right? Um, the Spirit of God came upon them. Uh, that entire town repented. Jonah walked away mad, right? Um, and Jonah 2.7 tells us this. As my life was slipping away, when Jonah was in the belly of the whale, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. God uses our pain to get our attention. And doesn't that happen sometimes? When we're, when we're experiencing pain, we remember God. This is the only way out of this situation here. I, I just had to turn to God for this. God uses our pain to get our attention. Third thing is God uses our pain to teach us to depend on him. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-10 tells us this. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. 
And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Thought I was going to die. This is a, I was at this point, I'm pretty sure it's over. They stopped relying on themselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us, and he will rescue us again. And we have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. See, here's the reality. We don't know how much we need God until God is all we have left. When everything is falling down around us, and, and when life can't seem to get any worse, God is still there, and he is all that you and I need. No matter how bad things are, no matter how rough things can be, no matter hard how hard life seems to be at that point in time, God is still there. And here's the reality. No, none of us like to have unsolvable problems, right? right? Like, like if, if you have a relative that you don't like, um, you know what the best gift for them is, right? Do you guys know? Oh, no, you give them a gift, absolutely. You give them a puzzle with one piece missing, right? On a, it's the unsolvable puzzle, right? Uh, and so on a, on a, you, that's, that's a gift that, you know, gives you joy and will give them joy because they're come so close, Right? If you really want to torment them, you can send, it, send them the puzzle piece six months later in the envelope saying, oh, maybe you're going to need this. Anyways, we won't talk about that, right? Um, the idea is nobody likes to have unsolvable problems in their life, right? Nobody likes to be faced with, I don't know how to see my way out of this situation. I can't, I can't get through this. I don't know what's going on here. I, I can't do this. But unsolvable problems teach us to depend on God to solve them. Psalm one nineteen seventy one tells us, My suffering is good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. For some of us, the only way we are ever going to learn to depend on God is if we go through some pain first. Fourth thing is this. Our, God allows our pain to give us a ministry to others. Our pain makes us humble. It makes us sympathetic. It makes us sensitive to others. It builds compassion. Our pain, our pain prepares us to serve. So I used to work at DHS, Department of Human Services, and, and what I learned in working with those wonderful men and women there was that many of them got in that business because they themselves had been hurt, had experienced some kind of abuse in their life, had experienced some kind of trauma, and they never wanted anybody else to experience that again. They, they, that's why they got into it. Um, I talked with a... I talked with a young lady yesterday who is going into graduate school and, and she's studying to be a school social worker. Um, and I asked her, uh, a school counselor, not a school social worker, I asked her the question, what, what made you decide to do this? And she, she goes, because when I was trying to figure things out when I was in high school, my school counselor came alongside me to help me get through this. And so I want to be able to step alongside other people to help get through, help them get through that too. And it's an interesting idea that says our pain prepares us to serve. 2 Corinthians 1.4 tells us this. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given to us. See, here's what we understand. Everyone is in need of some kind of restoration. Everyone is in need of some kind of restoration. Uh, who better to help? And uh, help an alcoholic than someone who struggled with alcoholism. Who better to help someone who's been abused than someone who's abused themselves? Who better to walk with someone who's lost their job than someone who has lost their job themselves? 
See, alcoholism, abuse, lost jobs, you know what those are, right? Those are pain points. Those are weaknesses that we don't like to talk about, right? Like, nobody wants to say, you know, I have a resume that's nine pages long because I've been fired from every single job I have, right? Um, actually, if you've got a resume that's nine pages long, you've been fired from every single job you have, we should talk because there's something else going on there, right? Um, but those are weaknesses that we think we don't really want to talk about them, and yet, what if God wants to use that pain to help others? And if we keep that hurt to ourselves, what are we doing with it? We're just wasting that. Do you remember the story of Joseph in the Bible? The story of Joseph. Joseph had the coat of many colors, right? Um, but he was, he was also the story where he was abused and mistreated. He was sold on slavery. He was blackmailed. He was falsely imprisoned, all because of his family, his own flesh and blood. But Joseph trusted God, and, and God knew what he was doing because through all that pain, God used Joseph to save two nations from destruction and famine. And when, when Joseph had the opportunity to confront his family about the pain that they had brought on him, the ones who had caused him so much pain, do you know what he said to them? Genesis fifty twenty says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And what a profound what a profound story for there, because of anybody in, the, in Scripture, we see Joseph as a person who had the right, by far, to hold on to that pain, to be bitter, to be angry, right? And yet, he understood that what you intended to harm me for, God intended it all for good. And he brought me to this position so I could save many people. My friends, you might have experienced pain in your life. You might have. You might have pain that, that you've never addressed and you've never talked about with anybody. But God will not waste that pain. God will use your pain for his glory if you will let him. So I'm going to finish out this message and I'm going to finish out this series by answering the question of how we can use our pain to help others. Right? How can we use our pain to help others? Second Peter three fifteen through 16 tells us this. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, be re- always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Let's be, let's be clear. When someone asks you how you made it through your pain, how you recovered, how you have been restored, you have to point them to Jesus. You have to point them to Jesus in this. You, you have to say, my hope, the way that I came to this point here, the only way this is possible is because of Jesus. Because left to my own devices, I would still be there. I'd still be in the midst of this pain. Only God saved me through this. And, and to point them to Jesus, you have to be able to come to terms with your story. You have to come to terms with both the positives of their story and the negatives. And again, I, I've said this to you before, and I don't know if anybody will ever take me up on this, but it'd be, it'd be wise to sit down on a, in a private moment for yourself and write down the story, the key points of your life, the key hurts that you have that you could say, because knowing those key pain points in your life allow you to say, and yet this is how God is using this, right? Knowing those pain, knowing those things in your life that you've written down and you can go back to and say, this is a pain point here that I, I didn't know how God would ever use this, and yet I see it being used over here. 
It can only happen sometimes when we write it down. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to have a fancy journal. You don't have to publish it on the internet. Nobody cares about that. Just write it in a little notebook for yourself. Keep it in your Bible. Keep it someplace where you'll hold on to it, where you can refer back to it and say, look what God has done. Look how God has taken my pain and used it for his glory. But I want to be clear to you that it's not your story that people need to hear. Because people don't need to hear what has been done to you. They need to hear what God has and is doing in and through you. Did you, you understand that? Like, like, we all have a story. We all have a story. But people don't need to hear your story. They need to hear what God has and is doing in and through you. They need to hear how your heart is being changed. They need to hear how you're pointing to Jesus. They need to hear you say, look, I am a mess over here, but I am doing everything I can to follow God. I'm doing everything I can to change my life. And and I might still be messy in this area here, um, but I'm doing everything I can to get it cleaned up. What that's called is called a testimony. And you have to know your story so that you could share your testimony. Now the question is, who's going to benefit from hearing my testimony, right? Well, I'll I'll tell you who's going to benefit from that. The people who are behind you, who might be going through that exact same thing. The people who are beside you, who are trying to battle through that. And the people who are just a little bit ahead of you, who who are growing through this, but see, yeah, this is where it was. Those are people who benefit from that. And you have got to be available to tell your testimony when the time comes. Because sometimes people come to you, but sometimes you have to take the initiative to tell it to them. Right? And, and this is where we get into trouble. Because I will confess something to you that you guys will probably figure out. I'm a talker. Right? I, I know. I know some of you guys are surprised by this. But I am a talker. I like to talk. I like to tell stories that have no significance on it. Right? Uh, can I get an amen on that from someone, at least one person? Right? You guys understand this, right? But when it comes to my testimony... I try to be as crystal clear as I possibly can. I try to point people to Jesus every single time I can, right? Because there's time for stories, right? But when someone comes to me and they're in need, my whole purpose is to point them to Jesus, right? I, I try to do that. And, and that testimony is so significant because sometimes people will come to us, but sometimes I have to take the initiative to talk to them. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 tells us this. Dear brothers and sisters, If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back to the right path. And be careful not to fall in the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and this way obey the law of Christ. See, this is not a suggestion for us. This is a command to us. And there are moments when we say to ourselves, well, I wonder if I should say something. And the answer, the answer is yes, say something. Do something. If you sense that someone is hurting, take the time to listen to them. Take the time to care for them. Take the time to point them to Jesus. If you see someone who is struggling with something, take the time to walk beside them. Take the time to point them to Jesus. If you see someone who is hurt, and you know they're hurt, take the time to grieve with them. Take the time to point them to Jesus. Take the time to say something. Take the time to do something. Because God does not want you to waste the hurt and the problems that you've had. 
So uh, that's essentially the end of the message that I want to share with you. But I thought I might add one little moment in here, and that is one more thing I just want to add to this, and that is this. I want to make sure that you understand how to share your testimony well, because it's pretty easy, okay? Right? We could tell our story, right? We could just... You just start talking, and then next thing you know, you're talking about how difficult it was navigating the birth canal, and then your first shoes, and then, you know, what it was like going to kindergarten, and then, you know, all of your, you know, your career in sports, and, and you know, you could tell your story. You get that, right? Um, um, but telling our testimony, how do we do that well? So let me just give you a couple things here real quick. It's pretty easy here. First thing we do is we keep humble. We basically tell people, we don't have it figured out, but we are figuring it out. I don't have it figured out, but I'm figuring it out. Um, and we don't get wrapped up in our story. We point people to Jesus, right? So if, as I'm telling the story on it, if I'm talking to someone on it who, quite frankly, I've seen them check out, I do everything I can to just end it quickly and point them to Jesus. If they're engaged in my stories, they laugh, which rarely happens, right? I... I keep telling them, but I still try to point them to Jesus. Second thing is I'm real about it. I'm transparent about my hurts and faults. I'm honest about them. I own them. I'm transparent. I'm vulnerable. Um, and I'm very real about the things in my life that have hurt me. And third thing is I don't try to lecture or teach when I'm telling my testimony. I don't try to say, well, you know, this is how it works. I just share my testimony. That's it. I don't argue with people. I don't debate them. I don't try to teach them. I don't try to condemn them. I just tell the testimony of what God has done in my life, how I've been changed, and I point them to Jesus. And that's it. Because if you, if you can't be humble, then we have to learn how to be humble. If you can't be real, then we've got to figure out how to be real. And if we can't lecture or teach, then we shouldn't say anything at all until we can talk to someone without lecturing or teaching. I guess maybe I have one more thought for you today. If all you have is a story of what's been done to you and you don't have a testimony of what God has and is doing in and through you, then let's change that. Okay? Let's change that. If all you have is the story of what's been done to you in life, but you don't have a testimony of what God is doing in and through you and how you've been changed by him, let's change that. Your testimony starts with making a commitment to following Jesus. It says, on this day here, I, I, I stopped. I drew a line in the sand. I put up a marker. I built an Ebenezer, right? Um, and I built the little towers, stacked some rocks, whatever you have to do. And said, this day right here, I'm making a commitment that I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to move forward from that point there. And, and I will always look back to this date, and I'll say, hey, on, on this time here, this is when I made that commitment. To say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Set up something for you. Make that commitment because that's where it starts. It's as easy as ABC, accept Jesus, believe that he could save you, confess your sins to him. And if you have a testimony, if you have that testimony, then remember Acts 20.24. Acts 20.24 tells us this, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. See, the testimony you share with someone else who is in pain may be the most important thing you ever share with them. It may be the most important thing you ever share. 
Don't waste that opportunity. Point people to Jesus. Don't point people to you. Let me pray for you today, okay? Dear God, I just ask that we be people who live out the testimony of what you have done in and through us and how you're changing us and how are you making us more like you in every area of our lives, Lord. Let us be people that live out our testimony for you of what you have done. Let us be people who live out our testimony and point people to you, Lord. Let us be people who believe in the restoration and who are being restored to fullness in you, Lord. Let us be people who, who thrive and long to have that relationship with you, and that we are always ready to point people to you, Lord. Let us be people who are able to see how you are glorified through our weaknesses, Lord. Let us be people who recognize that you want to use the pain that we've experienced for your glory. Let us not be shy. Let us not be people who are ashamed. But let us live in the reality that you want to use us for your glory. I pray for each and every one of us today, Lord, that that as we go out, as we leave this place here, as we, as we go about our week, that we'll have opportunities to tell our testimony. Sure, there'll be opportunities to, to share our, the story of our life, but let us focus on telling the testimony of what you, have done, what you have done in our lives, Lord. Let that testimony be clean. Let it be done with a humble heart. Let it be done in a way that allows us to be real. Let it be done in a way that we don't lecture or teach. We just simply point people to you. I ask this in your name. Amen.